0: All right, One more time. How you doing? Good. Welcome to The Remnant. My name is Todd. I'm the pastor here. So if you're joining us for the first time or it's been a while, um, we are in the midst of a series called Walking with Jesus that we do yearly, though I think I'm a inadvertently a liar because I went back, and I don't think last year we did that, which is so strange because we have every other year. So we're back on track, uh, walking with Jesus. We go through one of the gospels, and this year we're going through John, which happens to be my favorite gospel, which is exciting. Why is it my favorite? I don't really know. It just is. So um, yeah, that's the gist of it. Uh, Each one of these, though connected in the sense that we are Proverbially walking with Jesus does not mean that you uh, you know had to have the others to understand today. So, do you guys ever, that makes sense? Yeah. Um, an aside, not in my notes. So, guys, listen. I'm not s- supposed to tell you this, and, and I'm I'm really not, and I, and I do this often. I I break the rules, um, and I don't always s- do that well. But here's the thing. Sometimes I have to to do this when I don't feel like doing it. I know I'm not supposed to tell you that, right? I'm supposed to come up here. And sometimes I, I start, I don't know, man, no matter how hard I try, right? I really try to be in the right place to, to do things, right? And I'm not, no, I'm not talking grumpy. I'm just talking about those moments when we feel far away from God, when we feel not on fire or dry or whatever those things are. And, um, man, I'm the same way. And it's in those moments that faith really matters. Because what i got to ask myself when I come up here is, Lord, even though I don't feel like this, and when I don't feel like it, I get afraid. Because I'm like, if without the emotion that comes with it, the passion, whatever else it is that I typically feel, it's hard to put into words when you preach. When I don't have that, it makes me feel like I'm in, I don't know, a boat on a, on a stormy sea. You know, not to be corny, or I'm like floating through the sky, and I've pulled my parachute cord, but it's not coming out the first time, and so I'm going, oh my goodness, that's what it feels like. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you because maybe that's where you're at, and one of the things I've learned about preaching and pastoring is, and people, you guys get mad when this happens, and I promise you, I don't do it intentionally. Clearly, I don't have the ability to read the room without God, but a lot of times you can kind of sense it, right? Maybe it's the turkey overdose, I don't know, it could be, right? Um, But you just I have a feeling there's a lot of you in that place today. And it's not that you're in a bad place, right? You're not in a bad place, but you're not in a good place either, and you're sort of just in that place. And so you're here because you're awesome and you love God, and so you want to be faithful to that. But here's the thing, and I believe this. God has more for us than just being okay with it. And you got to act it sometimes and then trust that he's going to bring the feeling, that makes sense? Sometimes you gotta work for it. Sometimes you gotta grind for it. I mean, get it, grind, yeah, it's a cool hip word. Sometimes you have to push for it. And we can kind of become, um, what's the word I want to look for here? We can kind of become <sighs> entitled that God owes us an experience, right? Instead of He's already given us everything that we don't deserve or owed. And so we think because we don't get the experience that it's not really worth it. Now, if you don't understand what I'm saying, that's okay. But I think some of you do. And I think you got to get your heart and your mind in that place of saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to. I'm here, Lord, and I trust you to move. And here's the thing. Because I'm human and I can look out, and if you don't want to do it for you, do it for me. And when I can see that you're falling asleep... Right or I can see that you're halfway here, it does affect me. I'm a human being. right? It affects me. So here's the deal. I'll act like, and I'll walk in joy and excitement, and you do the same thing, and we'll meet in the middle. Does that work? No? Okay. So doesn't sound like it. Okay. Let's go on. You guys ever heard of cancel culture? Raise your hand. I've brought it up before. Yeah, cancel culture. For those that don't know what that is, it's sort of the movement that we have in society now where... Uh, it, in the midst of social media, where everyone's connected. And it's sort of this separate world, isn't it? It's sort of like another community that exists layered underneath real life. And if you're not involved in social media, God bless you. I mean that. Um, It is, I've said this multiple times as we're on social media, uh, that it's, you know, it's got a strange culture to it. And so cancel culture, the idea of canceling someone, believe it or not, people choose to do this. They go on the hunt for it and they justify it by saying I guess I should tell you what it is. So when someone does something wrong by the culture standards, they their voice gets silenced. Okay? Their platform gets removed in a sense. They no longer, hey, let's all gang up and unsubscribe to this channel and let's all gang up and tear this person apart on Twitter. Let's let's come up with hashtags like destroy Todd or whatever else it is, right? Because here's the thing. They deserve it, and we've got to keep the culture pure. And the only way to keep the culture pure is we've got to cancel the things that are bad for the culture. And so it becomes this strange hunt where, you know, if you misspeak, you're a racist. And if you... Uh, Say one thing out of context, you're a sexist, or you uh, hate people because you have an opinion, right? Anytime you say something is true, and I believe this is right, even if you're not saying the other things are wrong, when you claim something is right in this culture, you are then condemning them, and we can't have that. Everybody's truth has to be true. And if it's, and anybody who says it isn't, we have to cancel them. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, genuinely. Is anyone, like, really big? I'm not going to make fun of you, for real. Like, you're in the social media kind of culture. You know it. You understand. Raise your hand. Yeah. So, you young people, I know you do. You know what I'm talking about, right? They, they genuinely, like, when someone's canceled, they're gone. They're done for. It's over. And I bet, I'm not going to make you raise your hand for this, but you can get swept under that. Yeah, they do deserve that, right? They deserve that. And here's the crazy thing. Many times the stuff they're getting canceled for are things that you've done, it just didn't happen to happen on a big enough platform to reach enough people that wasn't on video, whatever else it is. And so what it is, is it creates this culture of fear. I was listening to a guy, uh, I'm not going to say his name, he's a big social media guy, and he recently... Because I've kept up on it. I've got to stay with it, Jess. I've got to be hip and cool, and I've got to be in the world, you know. I'm looking at you because you're a friendly face. It's not because you did anything wrong. So, um, P.S., if I ever do that, it's just because you're friendly. I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to acknowledge your presence, pretend I'm in an empty room. But that seems boring. So, and he said, listen, and this guy, the irony of this is this guy's living was making fun of people on social media and kind of calling them out. That's his platform. Well, what ended up happening is, essentially, even though... His motives aren't good. He's essentially like, his real complaint is, I've, I'm going to stop because everyone's boring and they don't do anything, which really means I don't have anything to make fun of because everyone has PR people and they're very safe. Isn't that funny? It's like, he, he was canceling them, but now he's criticizing the culture of canceling because it makes people afraid of getting canceled. Get it? Yeah. Uh, so, it, he, and he's right. It creates this fear of, of I can't say anything right? Everyone is, and he did make a deep comment, he said everyone's sort of clones of each other, robots. And we have that within the news. They may not call it cancel culture, but that's what it is, right? A political career can be destroyed from something that was said 20 years ago. That's just how it is. Sometimes you're canceled not because of what you said, but because of what you didn't say, right? Right? If something is true, when you are telling someone something's true, you're inadvertently telling someone else they're wrong, and goodness gracious, we can't have that. Now here's the thing. We all do this. We certainly do it within the church. And the interesting thing is we pick the thing that we naturally are good at as the thing that's worthy of being canceled. Right. So, for instance, if... Um, you are the champion of theology. Hmm. I am the Oxford Dictionary of Theology. And he used the verse out of, he did not say it word for word, literal translation, thus he is a heretic. Right? And you will then start start the movement. There's even groups, this is a perfect example, I don't even want to say his name. But there are groups of, if you type in, think of a pastor that you like. You're not going to believe this, Luke. You can type this in. John MacArthur, right? John MacArthur himself is called a heretic by a group of people. And if you know John MacArthur, I bring him all the time. Listen, John MacArthur probably wouldn't like me, okay, I get that, but we agree on most things. He's very solid, theological mind. I have the utmost admiration for him. Been in ministry forever. And yet, if you type it in, somebody's going to criticize him because of something he said, didn't say, or this is crazy. I'm not kidding. Who he was friends with. If my friend gets canceled, then I was associating with someone like that, which means I deserve it too. How dare he be friends with someone that makes a mistake or is human? Well, Todd, that's just on the national scene. No, it isn't. No, it isn't everyone church culture in general has certain things that are cancel worthy so how does that look in the church well it, it, it goes all the way from the far side this person is kicked out of the church and I'm not talking biblical discipline where they have walked through and they just reject the truth because if you do that you're not been canceled you chose to walk away Okay, But they're said, nope, the person's repentant, I'm sorry, and they're like, get out, you can't be with us. All the way over to, well, of course, just the gossip and the slander and the things you say about them behind their back. Right? We preach grace while practicing cancel. So let me tell you what that does. It creates fear within the church. Hallelujah, Lord, thank you for your blood that washes away our sin. Too bad it couldn't wash away Tom's. Because Tom's a drunk. Right? Or Jane, did you hear? Her husband left her. Ooh. Wonder why. And if I'm honest with you, we all know this. How do I know, even here in this church? It's so funny. Someday I want to preach a sermon just to this church without the social media anymore. I should anyway, because we need to hear it. You know, you become arrogant. Sometimes in your culture. (laughs) I I got it right. But what ends up happening, because I got distracted by that, (sighs) let me tell you how I know. Because you're afraid. You're afraid to share that struggle. You're afraid to share that mistake. You've never told someone that, especially not in church. I've had some good friends. If you're in the room, you know who you are when I say this. So no one else does. So I'm not, I'm not pretending you don't know. I mean you. But I've got a good friend that recently said you know, to me, he's like, hey, he said to some of us, he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm leery of being real with my Christian brothers and sisters. I'm, I, I, I and you know what? I 100% agree with him. Because every single church in the world, okay, I shouldn't say that, probably 99% would say that God's grace covers all, that there is no condemnation in Christ. Everybody would say that, and yet we are constantly condemning each other. And I say we because it doesn't matter. You know, Paul says just because the hand says to the arm, you're not a part of the body doesn't mean it's not a part of the body. So if this is a problem within the church, it's our problem. Is it a problem, Todd? Doesn't God want his church holy? Absolutely he does. The problem is none of our actions in and of themselves make us holy. And before every, this is a very personal issue. It's a you issue. I know there's people in this room today. I'm going to say it today. Why not? Who you say if someone doesn't work, they're garbage. Oh, I don't you... I'm not going to call your names out, but you know who you are. You've said that word. You've made that phrase. If someone doesn't have jobs, they're garbage. Really? If someone's been divorced and remarried, well, what an adulterer. But see, you separate it, right? You compartmentalize it and say, yeah, but mine's real. If you don't have a job, you really are lazy. And the Bible says that people that are lazy aren't blessed. So really, I'm just preaching what God says. No, you're not. What's your thing? What's your cancel-worthy thing? What's the, what's the sin? What's the mistake? What's the thing that says to you, let's not even talk about the church, I don't want to interact with that person anymore. I don't want to be in fellowship with them. I'm, let me tell you something. It's very, very rarely actually someone saying not being a believer the things it tells us, no, no, not that. I'll be friends with my, I'm, I'm supposed to. With someone in the church? See ya. This is really serious. If this isn't convicted you, you're not listening. Because if you haven't been, this is one of those days, man. If you haven't been canceled in church, you either aren't real or it's a matter of time. Bottom line Some of you are afraid to do what God's told you and be a member of a church. That's a command. I'm sorry. Todd, membership's not biblical. Listen, ain't nobody in Corinth was thinking if they're mad, they're going to go to Ephesus. That's not how it worked. You work it out. So I'm sorry to say that to you. That's the truth, right? And that doesn't mean if you're visiting for a while that we don't want you here. I'm saying those of you that are like, I will never. Be a part of a church. God's patient with us, but you know who you are. Anyway, you know why you do that? Partially because you know your own heart. You know what you judge people for, and it's inevitable. They're going to do it to you because you do it to them. We won't say that, but we know it. And our society has become a witch hunt. Let's keep finding. That's the irony, right? How many times, and we've seen it. I can't think of a specific example, but Celebrity A shames and helps cancel celebrity B and then ironically celebrity A gets found out for the same thing they shame celebrity B for, right? That's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy isn't preaching truth and then failing. Hypocrisy is preaching truth to everyone else but saying you have a different set of rules. Now here's the problem. Those of you in the room, those of us that say, I hate that. And some of you have such a heart for that. You're like, you can't stand the church. I get it. I used to be that way. You're a part of it. It doesn't matter (laughs) what you think. That's what God had to tell me. And so you don't really move in because you're like, but I love people and I stand. But you'll never change something you're not a part of. You'll never change it. You'll always be an, an outsider pointing out their flaws, trying to cancel the church. Because if you're not in the church, trying to change the church, trying to help the church be what it's supposed to be, are you any different? Some of you cancel people within the church because they tell you the truth. And you know it's the truth, but you don't like it. They will search for teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. Do you know why certain pastors that everyone calls heretics in private are so big? They are, I can tell you right now. There's whole groups dedicated to calling them heretics, okay? By the way, there is real heresy, and, and lies should be exposed to teaching, but here's the thing. <clears throat> they have a following because at the end they, they're vanilla. They're safe. They never take a chance by telling the truth. Let me explain something to you. Jesus would be canceled. How do I know that? Because we crucified him. Cancel culture. What would Jesus think? What would he think? If you're not passionate about this, what, man, something's in your heart. Something's wrong, I'm serious. This is the crux of it all. Jesus was canceled so you don't have to be. That's a fact. Sometimes I feel like and I've say this so many times I haven't even got this sermon yet in Christianity. I say this so many times to people that are close to me that it's just words now, and you think it's just as cute. And then, but you're you're right, remnant folk. That's our thing, but you do it right. Like we, this is everything. This is about. We are playing a strange game, in the church today. I caught the great masquerade. That's what it is. It is a game that we all know we're playing. We come to church to be told that we're good. And anybody that doesn't tell us we're good in everything we're doing, eventually we're not going to listen anymore. But we will say we want the truth. But who determines what the truth is? It's certainly not the Bible. I know a Christian recently, everybody said this person has been a Christian for years and years and years. And on the outside, perfect and awesome and A family member said to them, hey, you know, it says this in the Bible. And they said, yeah, well, the Bible says a lot of things. (laughs) But that's the thing. You do it. You just don't say it. We do it. I want to talk about a section of Scripture that is strangely one of my favorites. And everyone says they like it. But it's partially because we are, uh, and, and it's, it's going to talk to, this whole today is going to talk to two groups of people. And most of the time, we've all been both. It's just who you are today, all right? And some one of it's part of it, part of you should be very encouraged by it, and part of you should be very convicted. The question is, will you be honest enough with yourself to feel that, or will you cancel me as I'm talking? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. I'll be reading from the HCSB or the CSB. It's the same thing. Todd, what is that? Doesn't really matter if you're not into it. It's just a a translation. Jesus, at this point, I want to set this up beforehand. Jesus had, uh, at this point, is beginning to get some pushback. Remember, we told you, Crave, if you're here a couple weeks ago, that, hey, give us more bread. And, you know, he was starting to not, he did a miracle and they liked it, but now he's starting to challenge and they don't like that. And then the sections before this, in chapter seven throughout, he's beginning, they actually tried to grab him. Like, they wanted to hurt him, but they couldn't because it wasn't his time. That's what it says. Several times, hey, get this guy. Jesus might have been afraid in his humanness. Does that mess with your theology? Fully human and fully God, right? He had to be able to relate to us. If he wasn't afraid, man, like, the cross kind of loses some of its meaning, doesn't it? He was certainly afraid. How do we know? He says so at the garden. So he's already upsetting people. And then he decides to do this. And he hasn't really, like, he's kind of pick and chose his moments, But he's been sort of on the run and silent. He's talking to his disciples. You get the feeling he's kind of popping up and he's around. And when it comes to the festival, there's a big festival. It doesn't matter for our purposes right now. And everybody's like, hey, are you going to go? And like he then shows up. And he hasn't really been confrontational yet because he says it's not his time. I'm serious. Go back and read it. You get the sense that he doesn't want the fight right now. It's not time. So why am I telling you this? Because this section is interesting. The Pharisees, kind of want, they, they want a reason to condemn him. He's already healed someone on the Sabbath. How dare you? He's already done these things they're not supposed to do. He's already challenging their authority, and Jesus is not, he's kind of backed off a little bit here and there. Not, not hid, not lied, but you just get the sense. And then, but why now he will step forward very boldly and confront the people that want to kill him? Keep that in mind. Why? So here we go. It's a big section. i got a lot. i got to move. At dawn, he, capital H, who is that? Jesus. Yeah, it's Jesus. At dawn, he went to the temple complex again, and all the people were coming to him. Now, they still heard about this guy. And it says, I should say, half the people were like, this guy is something special, and half were like, this guy's a demon. It's about right. Not that he's a demon, but that's humans. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees, don't guys, don't go forward here. Okay, I'm gonna warn you now. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. So Jesus came in this festival in the middle of it; it already started. He's trying to avoid a bunch of attention, but the people find him anyway. He goes and sits down, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders—you know what those are? Those are the religious leaders. Okay, they c- bring a woman caught in adultery to him, well, close to him, and throw him in the center. Throw her in the center. Okay, they see this isn't like, oh wow, I just happened to bring here here, and there's Jesus. No. They brought her to him for a reason. Here's the thing: in the law of Moses, it's told, we are told, right? In the well, not the law, in the law, they're told to stone adulterers, adulterers, kill them. Okay. In this case, we know she was caught in adultery. Guess what? Ready? This is important. She did the deed. Now, interestingly, they don't bring the man. Funny. But they bring this woman, and they throw her down in front of Jesus, and you get the sense he's sitting. You know, I picture he's kind of sitting here, and they throw her, and he just stops teaching for a minute to look. All right, go ahead, guys. Make this in center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law... Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Stop. Quit trying to guess me. All right. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? Now, Jesus has got an interesting choice here that we take for granted. If he says we don't stone her, who has he set himself up against? Moses. Which at that moment, he will give them exactly what they need. They can then point to him and say, you lying false teacher, right? If he says not to stone her, right, he's doing something too. He's still setting himself against Moses, isn't he? Because he's setting himself above, right? So if he says don't, he's setting himself above. If he says he's going to, he says, yeah, stone her. It's already, it's sort of, um, it's strengthened their position, Make sense? It's setting their authority up. You skipped ahead again. I wasn't ready. Quit trying. (laughs) All right? He's put themselves, he's sort of then uh, affirming their law. Okay? Which do you think they thought he was going to do? Do you think they thought he was going to affirm their law? Interesting, isn't it, that they already have the sense, that, and they have a feeling, they, they, they knew what this grace was. They may not have quite got it, but they understood that if they're setting him up, they knew what he was going to say. That's a big deal. That's important. They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. See, I told you. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. Now, I'm going to tell you right now before we go on, we don't know what he wrote. Okay, I can give you theories, but we don't know what he wrote. So they asked him to trap. Jesus stooped down and started riding on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, they kept saying, tell us. As he just ca- he stood up and said to them, the one without sin should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued riding on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. Some people say that he was writing sins down, secret sins of those. Some people say that he was highlighting certain sections of the Old Testament. Because, and there's some proof here because the older men left first. Older men tend to be what? More than younger people. Wiser. So they go, okay, I know what he's doing here. I'm out. All right? When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are they? Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. And then verse 12, which isn't often spoken about. I just love it. it, uh, Isn't connected with the story because there's a break typically in your Bible, but it's the same place. It happens right there in the same moment. <clears throat> neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Then Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's so interesting. I'll say it again because I lost some of you because you're squirrels too, right? Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Then Jesus spoke to them again, those he's teaching. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but we'll have the light of life. Now, it's so funny. Most There's two groups of people here. Two groups of people in this story, and I'm going to tell you something right now. Every one of you thinks you're in the first group. Every single one of you. Because you don't like to be in the others. Many times, and I'm going to speak to the one that needs to hear it first, the, the, the one that needs to be encouraged. Listen. This sin was worthy of death. Listen to me. It was worthy of dying. She should have died. The Bible tells us, Jesus himself had said before, remember, that you say to commit adultery, right, in your heart. I say that anyone looks at a woman with lust in her eyes has already committed committed adultery. They deserve to die. Even the thought, this woman was caught in it. You're like, oh, feel bad for her. What if it was your husband she was with? Would you feel the same way? How about your wife? I didn't think so. Now let's make it a little more real. Somebody was hurt by her actions. Someone was hurt. What she did was evil and it was wrong. The action was evil and it's wrong. It was someone's. To commit adultery, one of them had to be married. So whether it was her husband or whether it was you know, him who had a wife, we don't know. But the bottom line is somebody was hurt. Oh, you would give them grace. I don't think so. You walk in and they're with your husband? Maybe you would, some of you. You will once you recognize who you are. So this woman was guilty. Here's the thing. And everybody knew it. She couldn't lie to them. She couldn't hide it. She couldn't go to a different town. She was caught and made a spectacle of in front of everyone. She had committed a sin that was worthy of someone being killed in their culture in, the, in that moment. And yet Christ looks down at her and says, I don't condemn you. So the reason that even to this day I usually use adultery, because that's the one that everyone, man, you, even murderers, I feel like murderers, you will have more grace if they're in jail than if I talk about an adulterer. Which I get, makes sense. It's a, it's a serious thing. But here's the deal. If you feel like the adulterer, if you feel like you have done it and you don't hide from yourself and you're the person in the middle that everyone's always wanting to stone, there'll come a time sometimes within the church that you'll begin to think that you deserve to be stoned, that you deserve the things they're throwing at you, that you're, it's just, you deserve it. You accept it. And so you stay on the ground because Really, you don't. You can't look them in the eye. You're dirt. You're worthless. And if Christ looked at a woman whom He'd never met and said, "I don't condemn you," then what would He say to one of His children? What would He say? Well, I can't forgive myself. Well, good thing that that that's not dependent on you. God's in Christ, and I'm going to make this very clear, and I'm going to bring it up again at the end, and I say this, and I love, I say this way, you know, Tim's one of the few people, he brought this up earlier this week, that I say things intentionally. A lot of times, like, you guys think I'm just a barbarian, which I am, but I know what I'm saying, and it's going to poke the people it should poke and encourage the people it should encourage, so I'm going to say this right now. You cannot out-sin grace. You can't. If you are a true follower and believer in Jesus Christ... It doesn't matter if Pastor Todd. It doesn't matter if Deacon Joe. It doesn't matter uh, if Mommy, Daddy, uh, Uncle Fred. It doesn't matter if the entire world stands around you with stones ready to kill you. Christ has said you are clean and you are not condemned. Period. It doesn't feel that way, though, does it? When Christians speak... It's so hard to forget that they're not speaking for Christ unless they're speaking his words. You understand what I'm saying? It can be hard, right? Even I say that. Lord, why do you, like, I, I, it's hard to believe. Like, these people seem like your, your children. Why are they saying this? But they're not Christ, no matter how good they are, how good they appear. You are never condemned. Never. And those in the room that need to hear that, I'm going to say it again. And part of your reason that your faith is dry and you've kind of went deeper into it is because you already think you're condemned, so what does it matter now? But you're not. You're not. You're free. How do I know? I'm going to talk about it in a second. But before I go on, I want to talk to the other group. You see, when we read this story, you're always in the center, aren't you? You're always the one that Christ is it's you and Jesus speaking to the Pharisees sticking it to them no 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 we are the people with the stones you are the person with the stone if you've done it once that's all it took some of you in this room take a lot of pride out of picking up stones and seeing how many adulterers you can kill you love to take the gun and go wolf hunting it doesn't really matter how many sheep you kill right because every now and then you're bound to hit a wolf christ's sacrifice wasn't enough we got to cru- crucify some people to really get the church to understand the seriousness of their sin i'll never forget a guy told me that not even in my life todd i got to somehow get you to understand the seriousness of your sin already broken. Some of you look and read these things and you think you are the righteous champion with Christ and in doing so in that moment you prove yourself to be the Pharisee with the stone because you have forgotten one simple thing. You are the adulterer. It doesn't matter if adultery is not the name of the sin you've committed, it's the same. Because I know this much. I know you've looked at someone with lust in your heart one moment. Now you understand why Christ said, You already did it. That isn't making light of adultery. The world's going to condemn, right? There's going to be consequences that come. Don't make that mistake, but that's a different message for a different time. Do you understand the seriousness when you pick up a stone and look at one of God's children and say, I will be judge, jury, and executioner? Do you think that he won't stand up for his child? Do you think that you won't give a reckoning for what you've done to his children? So you better be very, very sure when you're picking up that stone that you're not throwing it at a co-heir of Christ. You better be sure. Because otherwise, I would hate to be you the day he looks at you and says, what have you done to my son? What did you do to my daughter? Let's move on. There's so much here. I I got a lot for you. Walking with Jesus, man. We just got to keep going. Same chapter. He goes on. And so he says there in 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Then jump down to 30. Verse 30, he says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Here we go again. All right, that's good. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. So these are the ones that believe. If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. Does that mean that you lose your salvation? No, it means that if you're truly a disciple, you will continue to follow his word, right? It's not you earning your salvation, you're Following him, your obedience, not your whether it's perfection, the fact that you seek after him proves that you are his disciple. It's not the other way around. Does that make sense? I can be wordy and lose you. And then he says this statement. This is so, so powerful. You've all heard it, right? Typically in like school, or so. you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free of what? Drop down to 34. Jesus responded because they said, we're not, we don't need to be free. We're blah, blah, blah. It's a Pharisee. Jesus responded, I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. (laughs) Therefore, if the son sets you free, you really will be free. Do you feel free? If you don't feel free, then you've listened to a voice other than Christ's. That's not to condemn you. I get it. I do too. They're real loud. <laughs> and God tends to speak really quietly until he has to speak up. And by that time, you don't want to hear it, right? What does he free us of? This is important. Why is no one condemned? He says, the truth is, every single one of you in this room, if you don't know Christ or and at one time in your life, you were a slave. You were in bondage. You chose to follow and do whatever you wanted to do, even if you're a good person. You are a slave to your emotions, to your feelings. You are a slave to your desires. And on a deeper spiritual sense, you were a slave to sin. You know, later on, we'll see that God essentially, Jesus himself says, they call him the the devil, and he says, no, 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 no. I know who my father is. You're just like your father. And they said, oh, Abraham is my father. And he goes, no, your father is Satan, and he was a liar from the beginning. And you do what your father does. You only have two choices. You're either a child of God, right, or you're a child of the prince of the dominion of darkness. You're a slave. There's only two paths in life. You're a slave or you're a son or daughter, period. That's it. Well, I don't feel that way. That's fine. Life's very short. There will come a time when you see your chains. But the beauty is, is that you have to understand, and this goes back, we're all adulterers, and this goes all the way back to the Kingdom series, and now I'm talking to you and not the people stream. like, what's that? Go listen to it. Here's the thing. Some of you, you, you don't want to be poor in spirit and mourn, and so you're still a slave. You still have shackles on your feet, even if it's been unlocked. We do that so many times. We're free, right? I asked some of you, I said, do you feel free? And I see you shake your head, me either. You know what you're doing in those moments? You're going back in the cell and putting the shackles on, and they're not even locked, and you just sit in the room with the door open. Because you can't fathom that you're free. What does Scripture say? A slave does not remain in the household forever. There's a slight warning here. You you won't get to enjoy this. There'll come a time when I'm kicking you out. But a son does remain forever. This is deep theology. You like this, Luke. You ready for this? Luke likes theology. You're going to love this. But a son does remain forever. Listen, then he says, This is so good. Jesse, you love this. Friendly face. Therefore, if the son, capital S, sets you free, you really will be free. Well, what I don't understand, if the son sets me free, well, how does that make me a son? No one? This is because it tells us that. Co-heir with Christ, heirs of God, we become, we become children of God. The great transaction, I'm trying to get Tim to make me this fancy image to show you, because I looked online, they don't have anything perfect for it. We give him our slavehood, and he gives us sonship. Daughtership, whatever. You get what I mean. He says it throughout the Bible, the same message. Because we're not slaves. Stay with that theme. Remember I told you. Now let's go back earlier in the kingdom series when he says, all right, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are, those, blessed are the poor in spirit for they will inherit the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. That doesn't make sense, does it? Well, how can he free them if they can't acknowledge that they're chained? We'll come back to that. Now, I told you I got a lot today. I got a little time here. I'm going to, we're going to jump to a whole different story, but I think you'll see the theme, okay, and we'll wrap it up. Do you trust me, Josh? Do you? you believe in me? Thanks, man. All right. (laughs) Jump to chapter 9. We're going to start right at the beginning, chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. As he was passing by, capital H, it is, Isaiah, Jesus, good, got him. I'm seeing you paying attention, got him. As he was passing by, just teasing you, he saw a man blind from birth. Now stop. Here's the thing. We don't realize this. At this point, in order to justify why bad things happen to people, the Jewish leaders over time had decided, essentially, that if someone, for instance, this, this happened to him. He was blind, right? This, we, we don't know how, whether it happened to him later. Oh, it says from birth, actually, duh. So I get him mixed with the other guy. He was blind from birth, so what does that mean? Hey, this guy was clearly a sinner from the moment of birth He deserved this. He was being punished by God from the very moment of his birth. So it was either his sin or his parents' sin transferred to him. Either way, this guy's disgusting. He deserves it. He's, in a way, unclean. His very nature is corrupted. You get what I'm saying? Oh, boy. They were kind of right. Not about that corrupted nature. So you got to realize that. They believed that he was a sinner, his disciples questioned him, Rabbi, now this was his disciples. Oh, look at that poor guy, and then maybe, probably Peter. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Why did this happen? Why do bad things happen? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. Now they would have gone, huh? Well, clearly he sinned. What are you talking about? How can that be God's works? Let's move on. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, we have the benefit of hindsight, but you picture why. I know me. Hey, why is this guy blind? His parents are him? And he goes, neither. It's so that God's work can be displayed and also we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And I'd have probably, like, leaned over to, like, Andrew. I'm like, what the heck he talking about? I, I mean, I get the light thing, but I just asked him why the guy was blind. What's he, why? Man, that, he just talks a little too much sometimes. Like, couldn't he just say, right? 6 and 7. After he said these things, he spit on the ground. Made some mud from the saliva. Now, okay, keep in mind, I'm, I'm the guy going, and then Jesus does this. So you, you know what you're doing. What in the? Make some mud from the saliva and spread the mud on his eyes. We're all like, how holy. You would have been going. <laughs> you know, some of them are like, man, he is so weird. And then go, he told him, wash, was, was? wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he left, washed, and came back seen. We just miss these miracles, man, because we're like, yeah, probably cataracts or something. Now, he's, he's blind. He got some laser treatment. No, didn't exist. He left, washed, and came back seen. So the man then leaves, right, and he begins to tell people here about this. And, again, Jesus is getting some, like, some good pub here. That means publicity. See, oh, I'm hip and cool. And so what happened was the Pharisees hear about it, and they're mad again, and they go bring this guy forward, and they say, hey, uh, what happened to you? And he goes, yeah, a guy healed me. Spit, he told him the story. He spit on some mud, made some mud and put it in my eyes. And then they were, you know they were going, what? Yeah, who is it? I don't know where he's at. That's what the guy says. He goes, where is this man? And they go, well, I don't know. So then we'll pick up on verse, um, they kind of end up finding out it Jesus. They hear, it. verse 16. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. He healed him on the Sabbath again. That's such a Jesus thing to do. I made him mad last time. What day is it? <laughs> uh, Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was a division among them. What does that sound like? Yeah, us, man, right? Well, that's not my theology. Go down to verse 20. So then they call his parents. They say, that's it. I don't believe this guy. He clearly, he's lying, he's pretending. Get his parents. So they bring the blind man's parents to the the Pharisees, bring him to the temple. Jesus isn't here right now, okay? He's off doing something. So they bring him to the temple, and they say this. Hey, is this your son? Your blind son, how can he see? We know this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents answered. But we don't know how he now sees. And we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews. Since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone, Jewish leaders, that if anyone confessed him as Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. This is a very important moment and section for us to grasp. The threat here they'd heard, and before you go, well, who cares? Yeah. What happens when you get kicked out of the church? What if you, you don't get to do your ministry because what? You have a struggle? That happens. I've literally had people tell me that if they're, you know, having marriage issues, because I, you know, people, one of the, the blessings and honor I get is to be in people's lives that, well, I can't be in ministry now because the, I was like, you, you, no, 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 that's not what that is. But that's the fear we live in. So we understand this fear. That's why we don't tell each other things. We don't. We don't even want to be looked at poorly. Can you imagine if we get looked at poorly, thrown out, and then we tell the whole town why you're kicked out? And so his own parents. This man's situation was tough. He's been blind from birth, viewed as a, you know, an outcast, a pariah. Then he gets healed, which is a good thing. He's still not accepted by once again something that had nothing to do with him, just like he did not when he was blind. And now his own parents are saying, I'm not going to stand up for him because we don't want to go down for him. Ask him yourself. They put it back on him. Have you ever been in a situation like that? You made a mistake. Maybe it wasn't, and, and people turned on you, walked away from you, people that you thought loved you, didn't stand up for you. I have. One of the greatest lessons I ever learned, I bring this up many times, if you think I'm bold in my faith, which I'm not as bold as you think I am, okay? But let's just say that you do, and you're like, oh, you know, people don't like the answer I tell them. The answer that got me here, because I wasn't this even when I started church, was the realization that there's no guarantee any of you will ever be here if something happens with me. But God will. And there's freedom in that because I can love you knowing that you could turn on me. I'm serious. People, there's no one above anything. And what you'll find is humans, no offense, we're cowards. In our nature, we're cowards. That means naturally. So you might stand with your friend, but once two people, three people, four people, 10 people, 15 people, really. You don't want to be associated with me just like the parents didn't want to be associated with the son, and just like the people didn't want to be associated with the adulterer. At a certain point, you kind of hit critical mass. I don't want to be with them. Even though I don't necessarily want to stone them, I'd rather pick up a rock than be stoned with them. So, after this, they get no answer, and they call now keep in mind, the blind man who now sees is already outcast. I'm sure he heard about his parents. Right? Even his parents wouldn't stand up for him, wouldn't say, no, he's not, he wouldn't lie. They didn't even say that. You notice that? They didn't even say, well, my son wouldn't lie. No. They said nothing like that. So he gets pulled in again. <clears throat> so a second time they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Tell the truth. Prove you're a Christian. He answered, whether or not, (laughs) I have a feeling I'd like this guy. I'm just sorry. I just love this. Whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. I want to cry. When people have come in my life and they condemn me and they say, how could you preach, Todd, when you did X, Y, Z? Many times the things that they condemn me for, I did. I did in the past. And they say, How can that happen? It's, you know, I used to be that guy. I was raised to fight for my rights, right? How dare you? And then it's so cool now because I just get to say this. I don't know. Take it up with him. I don't know the reason, but I know that he did it. Then they ask him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you. <laughs> this is why I like this guy. I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? Mic drop, right? Yeah. We'll say the Bible's not filled with sarcasm, right? I mean, and imagine the courage of this guy though. Because remember, he knows the same threat that they're going to be kicked out of the synagogue. And by the way, that's a big deal to not be able to work. Being kicked out is like excommunicated. You're outside gods. You can't do the sacrifices. And if you can't do the sacrifices, then you're not what? Clean. You're in trouble. I already told you, you said you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? And then 28, they ridiculed him. You're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciple. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. (laughs) Here he comes again. That's an amazing thing, the man told them. You don't know where he's from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. You were born entirely in sin, they replied, and are you trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. What do you think they threw him out of? He was kicked out of the synagogue. This isn't just that moment. He was kicked out, excommunicated. The man stood for truth. We don't talk about this guy enough. We don't know his name. It's a power. This dude is, has a heck of a testimony. Because even when he didn't know exactly, I'm about to cry, man, because it's so beautiful, who Jesus was. He stood up for him. Didn't he? We don't talk about it. He stood up for him in front of the very people who would later on kill him. He stood up for him. Would you? Do you stand up for him even at, at work? Do you stand up for him in your life? Yeah, I do. Do you? Because when you, here's a way you stand up for him, by following him. Well, I don't hate people, Todd. You don't? What about the people that do the thing that makes you mad? So what we see here is even though he kept pointing out the fact, this man's from God, here's the proof, here's the facts. Stay with me. There's a parallel with us. They said what? They brought the focus not... They didn't stay focused on Jesus and the fact he did these things. They brought it back to the man's sin. It's always focused on the sin. You always know the religious people, the religious elite in our society, in our churches, the religious Pharisees within the church culture by this simple fact. They want to focus on the sin and not the Savior. That's a fact. They spend an awful lot of time talking about church discipline And false teachers and heretics, what's weird, not nearly enough time about restoration and healing and redemption. So what ends up happening is, as they threw him out, it said that Jesus heard that they threw him out, and he went and found the man, and he said to the man, you know, who do you say I am? And he said, tell me, or no, and he says, tell me, and he says, says, you know, I want to tell you the Son of Man is going to come and do this, essentially the Messiah. And he says, tell me who this man is. Tell me who this man is so I can go. And he says, you're talking to him. (laughs) it's a cool moment. And it says he fell to the ground and says, I believe and began to worship him. That man had lost a lot. Yeah? He lost what little reputation he had. I guess he'd already lost everything. You become kind of bold when you lose everything. His parents... We get the assumption they're not going to associate with him anymore. He's outside the church. His friends, now. not only was he born in sin, but now he's hanging out with a sinner. And, but he didn't care about any of that. All he cared about was worshiping the one who healed him, the one who didn't condemn him, the one who stood with him. The Pharisees are still here, probably because they wanted to see what he's going to say. How do I know? He talks to them. They like, creepily threw the scout, and they kind of followed him. <laughs> So that Since we get here, they're really creepy little guys. They're kind of always like hiding behind the wall, right, <laughs> looking for them. So verse 39. Actually, let's go to 28. So, no, I already did that. I'm crazy. Uh, go to 39. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see, and those who do see well do see will become blind. Go back to that. I want, don't just do the Christianese thing go, yeah, I understand that. Do you? Let's say it again because it don't make any sense on the surface. I came into this world for judgment. I'm going to judge people Well, we know that. In order what? That those who do not see will see, and those who do see will become blind. Ooh. Remember the context of the story. There's a lot of layers here, but let me give you one that you may not think of. What did we just say? The man was born blind, so he was born in what? Sin. So that those who do not see will see. But those who are sinful will not be. And those who are spotless will become sin, become judged. Stay with me. Move on. We'll go further. Think that through. Verse 40. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, We aren't blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. Remember, that only makes sense in the context of what he said. If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. Man. It's a good thing we're not blind like that guy. We always assume that Jesus said this angrily. I don't believe he did, this part. I don't. I believe, because did you know he loved the Pharisees? Did you know that John 3, 16 and 17 applied to them too? That he didn't want to condemn them, but that they would come to know him? If you were blind, you wouldn't have sin, but now that you say, we see, your sin remains. This all ties back. This is the point of the gospel, the Beatitudes, all these things. In order for a slave to be freed, they must be willing to acknowledge that they're chained up and a slave. You hear me? In order for the sick to be made well and be given the medicine that'll make them well, they'd have to be willing to admit they're sick. This is why it's so important that we are poor in spirit and that we mourn. We must recognize who we are that you are an adulterer, that you are the one that deserves to be stoned, that you are the liar and the thief, you are the one that you want to cancel. You are that. And here's the difference you deserve it, just like the the adulteress did. You deserve that. Todd, you know, I've been told, Todd, you just tell us we're so bad. Friends, you're not listening. You're only listening to the half. You're so afraid that I'm going to end this message with you being bad that you miss the beauty and the joy that's about to come. A slave that doesn't believe it's a slave is still a slave. I can make believe that I'm free because I have freedom to move. If I was trapped in this room, just in this room. I'm not a slave. Look, I can go here, and I can go up there, and I can play guitar, and I can talk to you guys, and I can have fun, and I can do all of these fun things. See, I'm not a slave. It's is fun. I only realize I'm a slave when I find out the doors are locked, that I have nowhere else to go. It doesn't matter how big your cell is. It doesn't matter how much gold's in it. It doesn't matter how much money, entertainment. It doesn't matter how many women or men. It doesn't matter what's in your cell. Without Christ, you are still a slave, and you are still in bondage, and you are still chained. And if you cannot acknowledge that because you are too prideful, because make no mistake, even your self-hatred that says, don't say anything mean about me, I can't face it then you're still staying in the room. So whether you don't want to face that you're a slave, a sinner, because you already know it, you beat yourself up, or because you're just too prideful and say, I don't need your help, either way, you're still rejecting the help that Jesus offers. You're still rejecting freedom. This is the gospel. You go back and we see the light of the world. I'm here so that you can actually see. You can see your situation. Right? That you can see um, how desperately you need me. That you can see the danger that's just that's right there. That you can see the cliff that you're heading for. That you can see the poison that you're drinking. You can see the wound that you're bleeding from. is so important it's two stories with the same thing really, there's a theme those who think they know right, who think they're good, who think they're spotless and can see, want to condemn the sinful and the blind they want to set themselves above God himself, because that's what Christ is that's Jesus. So what do we take from this story? You're, you're, you're less, your list won't be on there. I've noticed sometimes it kind of worked out. I've been thinking this anyway. Um, I sent the list to the guys too late. But also, sometimes we're so focused on the list, you don't think about it, right? What do we take from this story? I don't have a cool name for it today. It's just what do we take from the story. Stories. Number one, this is important. Jesus will stand with you and for you always. He'll take the stones. He'll take the insults. Romans 15, there's this thing where he says, he quotes the Old Testament, Paul, in relation to Jesus, right? Your reproaches fell on me. I took your, the insults meant for you and the shame and the condemnation. Jesus will stand for you. Do you think it only happens once? You think that once you come to know him, he's like, okay, you're free. See you, buddy. <laughs> Right And then walks away, no, he's always there. What did he say? You're set free. Those whom the Son sets free are free indeed. Number two, you don't have to stay on the ground. One of the biggest lessons I've learned in my life when I did the sin, right? Sins, it's happened multiple times. That's why I used to not want to be called a pastor because I just cannot measure up to the standard that that we as humans put on it. I'm not talking about the biblical qualifications. I wouldn't disagree with you there. I'm talking about the ones you put on me that I can't measure up to. I have bad days. I look grumpy sometimes. I say things wrong sometimes. But the lesson that I learned was I kept waiting. I kept waiting for someone in the crowd to say, you don't have to stay in the mud anymore. You don't have to be ashamed anymore. You don't have to... Uh, you know, for someone to tell me it was safe to stand up when, when Christ already had. There is no condemnation in Christ. Then that means I can always stand up with my chest held high and my head held high because of who my Father is. Some of you in this room live under such shame and condemnation. Because you can't fathom that God can love you after you've done what you did. I get it. I get it. I promise you I get it. And I wish I could tell you that that goes away. That that feeling, I'm tearing up now, that that, my voice is quivering because of allergies. That doesn't cover that one. Yeah. I don't cry because I'm sad anymore. I cry because I'm thankful. You know, (laughs) I'm thankful that when the world said I was a broken wagon, that God said I have other ideas. I have other plans, that this, your story's not over yet, and neither is yours. You know how I know? Because you're breathing. It's not over. You know, I, <laughs> guys, I, I'm so passionate about this because I believe the key to anything good I've done, and I don't live out of it all the time, is the realization that it really was never dependent on me, for real, And it takes so much pressure off of me when I can say, man, I don't know, right? Well, how do you see, Todd? Hey, I don't know. Why do you get to do, I don't know, but I know this. I I was blind, and now I can see. Sometimes we think that when we stand up, that means the voices stop and the stones drop. They don't always. They don't. I wish I could tell you that. There's still people out there that call for my head and my blood. That's just using me as an example, and they probably will for you, too. But I promise you this, God is faithful. And he will do miraculous things. And guess what? This is important. He loves you. You're his child. And I'm going to tell you right now, if someone were to do something to condemn my daughter, <laughs> I, uh, it would not end well. And, I don't, and I'm an evil man, scripture says, right? So how much more does the father love you? Justice will come. It will. And I'm not talking about for your sin. That's already been paid for. God will defend you. I have had my enemy walk into this church. This is an honest truth. You can ask me off camera. I had a guy who condemned me, one of the ones in the crowd, when we got this building, which is a miracle. It's a true story. You can ask Tim, anyone else. He came to this place the first week. He's like, hey, can I have a meeting with you? The same person who kicked us out of the last building. Because really deep down, the chairman of the board didn't like me. Because I eventually told him, hey, buddy, you don't get to condemn me. Because I, I sat on the ground long enough. And that's all I said. And he's a powerful guy in the community. He didn't like that. So all of a sudden, we are, we're told we have to leave. God moves in a miraculous way. We are essentially, I can't, you don't believe it, given a building. If I told you that, you, you wouldn't believe it. They really won't. They, they think they know, but they don't, I'm telling you. And that guy came to me the week of and sat up in that office and apologized to me. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I'm still laughing to this day. Why? But here's the thing. I, <laughs> I think I even cried, maybe, too. I remember when he walked out because I knew right, that that was meant, you know, God was telling me, I told you. Right? I told you. But it wasn't really me. I couldn't even take the glory. It was the the acknowledgement that God is still here, right? To me, I gave glory to God. Hey, your enemies, right, your enemies will someday not, will be forced to acknowledge that God's with you. Let's just put it that way. They'll be humbled. I promise. How do I know? Because his word says that. Just cling to that. Number three, got to move. Let Jesus' words ring louder than the words of the religious. Remember I told you when you stand up, they're not always going to drop the stones. right? They're not. You have to know the Bible, guys. You have to know the word of God. I promise you there are certain verses. I said this years ago, and, and, and I mean it again. You need to have an anchor verse. That's what I call it. It's a verse that keeps you anchored in the truth. If it's only one, that's okay. My one was... There is no condemnation in Christ. I didn't even read the second part of the sentence. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation in Christ. It was simple for me. So the days I felt condemned, I was like, either he's a liar or I need to just accept the truth. Same section in Romans. There were many, right? God works out all things for the good of those who believe according to his purposes. I consider that my present sufferings aren't worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Revealed in me. It's a reminder that this isn't the end. You have to know the Bible. You have to read it. Well, I, I get a devotion daily. It's not the same thing. It's good. Devotions are good. But that verse of the day, I know you folks, that's your Bible. Some of you cheat, right? I read the Bible today because you got that alert in the morning. You got your one verse. Come on now, right? Read it. Number four, I mentioned, it's not going to be up there. See, guys, I'm crazy. Number four, always keep your focus on the Savior, not the sin. You're always going to be tempted to look back and go, there's no possible way God still loves me because I don't even love me. (laughs) Right? That's the truth. But that's why you have to focus on him and not the sin. You have to. Right? I glory all, you know, Paul said, I'm going to paraphrase, so you theology people jump at me, go read it. The spirit of this is in there. But Paul essentially says, listen, I I glory, you know, I revel all the more in my weaknesses because God is giving glory through it. Right? His power is made perfect in my weakness. God gets to show off by using a scrub like me. Because if he can use a scrub like me, what could he do with kings and queens like you? Number five, never forget that you were blind. The way that the Pharisees become Pharisees, even in our today's culture, is the moment that you forget that you are worthy of being stoned. When you start comparing sins and setting yourself above other people, then you've already forgotten the heart of the gospel, right? You have to remember, and I don't mean that in a condemning way. It's just the humility of knowing I'm a sinner saved by grace, right? Number six, by the way, never forget you're blind also means being poor in spirit. You have to admit you're not perfect some of you come to know Jesus and then you want us all to pretend that you're Christ himself like you're your physical you're Christ, you're not all right you grew you're you're a goober just like me you do goobery things you make mistakes own them repent of it and move on god's given glory through that all right the strange great masquerade thing is gross, right? It is, and it creates that culture where everybody's afraid. The people in here who say, I don't want to be stuck in this. I want to know that God's free, but you never tell anyone because you know that if you tell someone, you know that they're going to kick you out just like they did the blind man. I get it. I live there. You'll never know how free you are, though, until you do because you at least got one person in your corner here. You're not Christ, which is all you need, but if you want to scrub in your corner, I'll be there because I am... I'm telling you, I feel like I've had a lady in this church, because I've said before, I'm a sinner of sinners, I'm the worst of these, like when I say it, they're like, you're just doing a pastor thing to connect to people, I'm like, dude, you don't know me at all, I really believe that, like I really, I really do, I've done some shady bad things. Anyway, I probably shouldn't have told you that. I told you i break rules. Never forget that you were blind. Number six, why? Because if we claim to see, if we claim we see, if we claim we're perfect, if we claim we're good enough, then we will face judgment based on our goodness. And you're going to come up short. Because unless someone here is perfect and never sinned, you're in trouble. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin are death. Put that together. You're a sinner. You've earned death. Number seven, I said it once, I'll say it again. You can't out-sin grace. Paul says, I believe in Romans chapter 6, that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. I love that. Right? It's like it grows and thinks it can go, and then grace just runs a little bit ahead of it every time. Ha-ha. <laughs> like the tortoise and the hare, right? I think. <laughs> You can't out God's grace. Cling to that. Why can't you do that? Because here's a simple thing. Either what Christ did was all-sufficient or it wasn't. And if it wasn't, then he wasn't who he said he was. And if he wasn't who he said he was, then what are you doing? Playing a game? No. He said it. Here's another little section for you in Scripture to apply to yourself. He said, it is finished. Well, what about when I do this? It is finished. What about when I do that? It is finished. What about when I do make this mistake? It is finished. What about when Pastor Todd says, I'm scum and going to hell? It is finished, right? How would life change? Here's my question. Is going to come play some music very, very quickly, a quick song that, you know, I got a question for you. And I want you to right now really consider what I'm saying. I'm going to awkwardly sit here until the pause makes you go, okay, I'm listening. Ready? Here's the question for you. How would life change for you if you truly believed you were free? Free of What? Shame, condemnation, fear, the anxiety of being found out. That little nagging voice that says, I can't I can't show them that I'm blind. Right? So you stumble around and bump into people and just go, oh yeah, I just forgot my glasses, right? How would life change for you if you believed you were free? Would you be more bold? Would you be more joyful? Would you be more at peace? Would you stop being so angry? I would. Would you stop fighting so hard because the battle's already won? Would you tell people about Jesus more? Because who cares, right? They can't put you back in the in the room. Would you rest in God's grace? Would you worship him crazier? Would you stand up and maybe raise your voice louder than this? Would you worship with abandon? Would you serve? Would you invite people to church? Would you go to church? Nah, God, you know what? Christ doesn't deserve my worship today. I'm doing okay. Man. Some of you would come to this church every single day of the week if I gave you a million dollars. Because you would be like, I owe him. I know you would. Isn't that crazy? Christ sets us free from sin and death and we're like, I don't know, the big game's on. If you guys knew me back in the day, you'd be like, man, how is he saying this? I would sound like a hypocrite. How would life change you believe? Listen, real simple. You're never canceled. It's never over. It's not. Did you know that? No, you don't. It's never canceled. You don't have to be defensive. You don't have to, to be afraid. You don't have to walk in shame. You don't have to sit in the mud. You don't have to live in fear of stones. You're never canceled. The world cannot condemn whom God has set free. It can't. So how do you become free? Listen, this is important. You guys zone out because I tell you the whole gospel. Bottom line is God did make everything perfect, and he said there was really one rule. I'm God, you're not. I'll tell you what right and wrong is. Stay with me because you don't do this. Let me give you an example. When God says, for instance, to not be selfish, and you choose to be selfish, you just set yourself up as God. You broke that command. And because of that, God says, okay, you don't want my way. Sin entered us. Death. It's an infection, a disease. That's why I said earlier, he, they were kind of right. You're born with it. He was blind because of sin not his own but the very nature of it disease death murder all these things for thousands of years that's inside of us it's in our it's in everything we know it turn the news on listen the gospel doesn't change because you've accepted it you need to remember this you are still the person who rejected god in on your own well todd i don't do that yeah it is because you walk out of here and you go back to the same life you had before You reject the truth that you don't like, we still do it today. And because of that, I already told you earlier the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, what does that mean? We're all sinners. Great, I'm not God. Well, because of that, the wages of sin are death. You will die. Without Christ, in fact, you're already dead. You just don't know it yet. Hell's a real place. Hell's a real place. And your version of Christ won't save you. Only the true Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the light of the world. He is the only one. Your made-up version where you rip out parts of the Bible you don't like and paste in parts you do, you're, you're not mourning then. You're not seeing what you are. So here's the thing. We couldn't make our way back to God. Religion tries to build up a tower big enough to reach God. It doesn't work. Well, if I do enough good deeds, it'll stack up and I can be there in heaven with him. No, that's not how it works. So, we were lost and in the darkness. And in that moment, God invaded this earth, became man. That's who Jesus of Nazareth was. He was God made flesh. He said it. C.S. Lewis himself said it. He's a liar, a lunatic, or he is who he said he was, the son of God. The only options. If he is who he said he was, then here's the good news about that is that as he told us how to live and showed us the way of the kingdom, his kingdom, the way it's supposed to be, he said this is what lo- the world was like and what you were like, meant to be like, but you can't do it anymore. You can't because you're tainted and you're you're not even what I made you to be, but I will transform you. But there are two things that have to happen. Your debt has to be paid, right? Your debt has to be paid and you have to have a way to where you don't sin again. You don't put another mark on the board. You don't put a little more wrath in the cup. Those are impossible. So what God did, what Jesus did, was he died on the cross. They killed him. It's a fact. The sun went dark. There was an eclipse. There was an earthquake. And the veil in the temple, the Jewish temple, that symbolized the separation of God's presence from humanity, His holiness from us was ripped from top to bottom. That's a fact. It was ripped, symbolizing that no longer will God be separated from his people. But in order to do that, you have to accept what Christ did on the cross. On the cross, Christ accepted your sin and your wrath and your punishment to the point that the Father turned his back on the Son. He was separated from God so that you never have to be. And so he died. And on the third day, Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead where 500 witnesses saw it happen. They saw Christ risen. So what does this all mean, Todd? Listen, if you're in the room, I don't care how many times you come to church, this is important. See, when I bang you, listen. This is important. You have to accept what he did. You have to say you're blind. The Bible says if we confess with our lips and believe in our heart, right, that Jesus Christ was who he said he was, If we come to him and say, I give you my sin and my brokenness. I give you my blindness. I'm sorry for what I've done. I turn away from my old life. It says in that moment, a miraculous transaction will happen. He will take your sin from the past. That's great. He paid your debt, but what happens when you do a little more, right? When you get another bill, he does something incredible. He then gives you the benefits of his perfect spotless life. You become a son. You are no longer a slave. He became a slave so that you become a son or daughter. That's it. Don't leave today without knowing the security of what it means to be free. Guys, it's real. You will be free. Not just of the fear of hell, though that should be enough, but there's a joy and a peace that I promise is real. Some of you in the room have known who Jesus is for a long time, but you don't really know him. Don't leave here the same as you came in because if you do, you're choosing to. Take this time and go before him and pray.